What's up? Uh, hey, glad that you are here. My name is Mark, and um, hey, welcome to week five of Grow and Go. This is this message series that we've been in, where we've been learning what does it mean to be a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And if you've missed any of the messages the first four weeks, I just I can't encourage you enough to go check them out. You can open up the app, tap on Grow and Go, or you can go to the website and just make sure you listen to them because they really kind of build upon one another, um, kind of leading up to today and then Next week, and today is kind of a, a big one. It's, it's kind of an integral piece of this message of what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. And some of us really struggle with what we're going to talk about. But I've got to ask a question before we get to it. How many of you like to shop or consider yourself a pretty good shopper? How many of you like to find deals? How many like to find deals? How many of you feel like you're a good deal finder? All right. Well, Brandon touched on this, but um, some of you, I, I, I'm not that great, but probably because I don't look that much. But there's some people that really like to find good deals and you're good at it. But I do like to find deals, right? Like maybe it's, you know, uh, Facebook Marketplace um, or like a clearance rack or Black Friday, which is like Black Month now. You know, like they have savings all over. But when you find something that's like a third of the cost or like, dude, I got this for you know, hundreds of dollars off of what the retail or whatever price, maybe it's a truck, a car, clothing, whatever, right? When you find a deal, have you ever found a deal like you even brag about? Like, like you'd be five years later and like, dude, man, I got this car or I got this snowblower or I got this whatever, like a third of the cost, man. It was awesome. Like you still tell the story about the deal that you found. People do that, right? We like to find deals where Jesus, the reason I'm saying this is because Jesus made a couple of these statements where he said, like, I have an offer. I have a deal for you. He said, it's like a treasure or it's like a pearl of great price. And it's worth so much that if you find it, the best thing that you, the best thing for you to do is to go home, (laughs) sell everything that you have so that you can have this treasure that he offers. So what does he offer? Is it really that great? What's so great about being a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Have you ever thought that, wondered that, or maybe haven't spent a lot of time to think about what is that Jesus offers? That's what we're going to talk about today. And in order to do that, we're going to have to do a little bit of a crash course in the Old Testament history, or probably uh, more accurately, Old Covenant history. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. God creates the universe, God creates the earth, and he creates humans, Adam and Eve. And right there in the garden, he makes a covenant with them. He says, I will do this if you do that. So he makes a a covenant, an agreement. So I'm going to do this. And if you obey me, then you'll live forever in this garden, in this paradise, in this place, and in his presence. Um, But if you eat from that forbidden, that that forbidden fruit, then you will surely die spiritually um, and eventually physically, physically. So Adam and Eve had the opportunity to be in that covenant relationship, to be in that relationship with God in the paradise forever, but they chose to disobey, to rebel, to eat that forbidden fruit. And when they did, exactly what God said was going to happen, happened. They were, uh, death comes into the world, sickness, 
Uh, famine comes into the world. All of these disease, everything comes into the world through their sin. And also spiritual death, like physical death comes in, they later die, but spiritual death. So now they're separated from God, which was, and if you continue in that past your physical death, then that will be even uh, eternal separation and hell apart from God. Then God makes an addendum to his covenant that he made with them because now they've sinned, they've broken their part. So now there's this separation. God says, I'll make this little addendum. And he says, I will be faithful to my part. And the rest of human history and the rest of the Old Testament is the human humanity's attempt to bridge that gap, to, to overcome that distance that was created by sin. So later, God uh, updates or he makes another covenant, continues his promise with a man named Abram because Abram had faith in this God. Genesis chapter 12, here's what he said. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you I will, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, to, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So once again, he makes a covenant, an agreement. I'll do this for you. And uh, if you read the rest of, kind of chapter 12, what you see is God asks him to cut some animals up, right? So he cuts up some animals and lays them on the ground with some space in between. And then he has a vision. And he has a vision of God walking through the space between the animal parts that he cut up and blood all over the place. Kind of weird, right? In the Old Testament times, making a deal or a pact between two people or two parties was often called cutting a covenant. And what they did is they literally cut apart a few animals, put them on the ground with space in between, kind of like an aisle for you to walk. And then the two parties that were making the agreement would walk between the parts, stating out loud their oaths to one another. The meaning was pretty simple. May I be cut into pieces like these animals if I break my oath, if I don't fulfill what I say I'm going to do. Now, normal, most pacts, covenants, were made between two equals two humans, but sometimes there would be pacts or agreements, covenants, made between superior and an inferior person. Imagine a superpower nation takes over a smaller nation, and the ruling authority king of the superpower nation offers a covenant to the inferior nation. Now, in this setting, right, this is what God did with Abram. And because God's the superior and we are the inferior. And when the ruling king comes in, he doesn't say, hey, let's sit down and bargain. Like, hey, what do you want? And here's what we want. And we'll come to an agreement. He says, no, 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 we've taken you over. <laughs> and so if you want to continue to exist, here's what we offer. Here's the terms. Here's the treaty that we're giving to you. You can either take it or leave it. There's not really any negotiation. And if the lesser inferior party accepts, then they benefit from it. But if they reject it, then probably they're going to be wiped out. God, if you look in chapter 12, he's the only one who walks through the pieces. He's the only one who does the conversation. God is the superior, and he is offering this covenant to humans, to those who have been separated because of their sin, the inferior. There's no negotiating with God here. He says, here's my covenant. I'm giving it to you. It's take it or leave it. We have an opportunity. So this is the covenant that he gives to Abraham. Have you ever heard people say cutting the covenant? Probably not. But have you ever said or heard cut a deal? It's 
where it comes from. You cut a deal with someone. So God gave us a covenant. We don't use this kind of language anymore, and I bet none of you bought a car, and before you bought that car or as you bought your car, the guy says, hey, cut some animals up, and then we'll make an agreement on this little mortgage or this payment loan, right? So you don't have to do that anymore. But that's what God is doing. He makes a covenant with us. God is faithful to his covenant, to what he said he was going to do, um, and then later, he kind of upgrades his covenant, his promise, with the people of uh, Israel. God is faithful because he creates this nation, Israel, the Jewish people, from the line of Abram. And then he's, he's faithful to his covenant. And then he upgrades it with their new leader, Moses. And this is where in, in Exodus, you read a lot about this, but in Exodus chapter 19, this is what God says. If you will indeed obey my voice, Keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So in this covenant, this is where we get the Ten Commandments, where we're getting animal sacrifices. God reminds them, once again, I am the superior. I am making a covenant, a pact with you. I will be faithful. You don't have to worry about that. I am faithful, and I'm offering this to you. Your choice is, do you want it? Do you want to accept this covenant, this agreement, this deal? And he reminds them, not just of his covenant relationship with them, he also reminds them that you have a choice to make every day. Deuteronomy 30 gives us his very clear choice. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, therefore choose life, that you and your offspring may live. He says from the very beginning, grow and go. If you listen, grow and listen to what I say and you obey, then you will, it will go very well for you. If you choose life, it will go very well for you. If you don't agree, if you don't live to the terms of the covenant that we said, if you don't accept that, then you will experience curse. Understand curses like consequences. You're going to experience the consequences of your decisions. And they will bring pain into your life, but also into the entire world. So from the very beginning, God creates a covenant relationship with us. He bridges that gap that we created by offering a covenant. There's no negotiating with them. If God offers a covenant to us, anything other than total annihilation is his grace. Because <laughs> we rebel. It's his grace that he offers this covenant relationship. And now for the nation of Israel, he offered or he asked them to build what was called the tabernacle. So it's like a, a meeting place. It was like a tent that you can move. Later it becomes a permanent temple. Right? And he says that I will meet with you because they were struggling with this concept of this infinite, massive God that you can't physically see with your sight, you can't physically touch. You know, that we know that you exist, but where are you? That relationship says, I'm, build a temple, a tabernacle, and I will meet with you. And so for the next 1,500 to 1,600 years, Jewish life was intricately woven around this tabernacle, later the permanent temple. And so I want, here's an image that we can understand. The outside of those outer walls, that's the outer, the outer courtyard. Now, pretty much anybody is allowed to the outer courtyard. But to enter into the inner courtyard, you have to be a ceremonially clean Jewish person. And there would have been signs posted in Greek and in Latin, the languages at the time, where they would have said any um, foreigner or uncircumcised Jew tried to enter into the inner courtyard was punishable by death. Like, it's extreme. You are not allowed to enter into that presence of God unless you were a Jew and a ceremonially clean Jew. Once you enter into the 
the, the courtyard, you would see the, the brazen altar, and you would see the tables where they would prepare the sacrifices and then give the sacrifices. You would see the, the bronze basin where that was full of water where you would wash so that you would be holy, you would be cleansed, you would be able to kind of be in that presence of God. And then you'll notice the building. That's the temple inside the courtyard. The temple, only priests and only ceremonially clean priests can enter into the temple. Understand this. No other person, no other people in the entire world were allowed to enter into that temple other than the priests that were ceremonially clean. To enter into that closeness with God. Only the priest. And then within the temple, there was even a smaller space in the back of that temple called the Holy of Holies. So the most holy, or the most holy place. Exodus, again, explains a lot of this, but Exodus 25 gives us kind of a description. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, make an atonement cover of pure gold, make one cherub. So like a, an, it's like an image of an angel, okay? It's like an angel, two cherubs facing one another, uh, uh, and then place the cover on top of the ark and put the, in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you, the stone tablets that God wrote his covenant, gave to Moses. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So in that inner room that was surrounded by curtains, there is this ark. And in the ark were there stone tablets that you know, God wrote his law on. And then they placed this pure gold uh, cover on top of the ark with the cherubs, the angels. And that was called the mercy seat, the throne of God. And that's where God said he would meet with his people. That was the presence of God. And only one person, only one human being, the high priest, could enter into that. And only one day of the year, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. You probably have on your calendars, even your Google calendars kind of stuff. Yom Kippur. On that one day, only this high priest could enter into that space. And the only way that that high priest could enter that space is if they've gone through all the other ceremonially cleansing you know, procedures to get there, and then they would sprinkle blood on the, ark, on the ark, on the covenant. And then they could enter to atone for the sins of Israel and the priest's sins as well, because he was a sinner as well. Why all this blood? There's a lot of blood. The only way this person, this one person, could walk into that presence of God is through blood. Because remember when Adam and Eve rebelled, sin, God says that brings death into the world. So now they're physically going to die. And life, blood, represents life for us humans. I mean, that's, that's our life source, right? When something's got to die in order for us to be close to God. Something's got to cover the offense that we did, that we committed. Something has to die. And then that blood that is shed allows us to be in his presence, to, to, to be able to be close to God. The temple, understand this, the 15, 1600 years, the Jewish people every day, this is their life. The temple reminds them of that this infinite, massive, invisible, in a sense, God is right there with them. And yet it also reminds them of the separation the distance between them and this holy God because of their sin. That's a struggle. How do you work those two? Job, a guy in the Old Testament, gave really great words to this struggle. In Job chapter 9, he says, He is not 
referring to God, a mere mortal like me, that I might understand him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. Job's like, if God were just another dude like me, another guy like me, then man, we, could, we could hash this out. We could talk. We could work it out. I could say, dude, I'm sorry. And he could say, all right, it's cool. And then we could restore. We could be good. But God's not a, a mortal like me. How do I talk to this God that I know that I've offended? So I know that there's a rod because I know the covenant. I know that I've done something. I know that there's separation, but I can't fix it. I can't talk to him, so that means I deserve punishment, consequences, and I can't remove the consequences. So my life, I'm living, it frightens me because I know what I deserve. If only there were a mediator, someone who could speak on my behalf to this God so that we could come to an agreement, so that we could find peace again. Job doesn't realize it, but he's actually asking for a priest. That was the role the priest played. In, in Israel, a bridge, a mediator between God and his people and his people to God. The Jews were reminded all, all, every day of their separation from God, but also that God wants to be with them. Job gave us words, and every single one of us experienced this. My kids, when they were younger, oftentimes would go to Cindy. If they wanted something, sometimes they weren't sure if I would say yes or I would you know, acquiesce to whatever they wanted. Like I, they might, I might not be on their side in this. They felt like they might get Cindy, like Cindy might be more willing to say yes to them. And if they got Cindy, my wife, on their, their mom on their side, then maybe mom could sweet talk, right, and get me to come over as well, right? So they had a mediator, like sending Cindy over, hey, go talk on our behalf to dad, like, you know, maybe he'll let us or whatever, right? In a simple little way that's like a little mediator, sending someone to go talk to someone to try to mediate. Here's the deal. Every single one of us experiences this in our relationships, and we experience this in relation to God, this distance, this gap, this we know something ain't right. We know we've done something, and there's a gap. And every single one of us tries to fill that gap, to try to bridge that gap. Some of us, even like destructive tendencies like alcohol or drugs, just you know, bad habits that kind of numb some of the pain. Some career accomplishments, even like family, being the best parent, accomplishing something so that we feel like we've done something to earn something or to keep us so busy that we don't have to think about it. Sometimes it's like new age or mysticism or spiritualism to where like even like religion in the sense that we make rules and if we follow these rules then I know I'm good. So I feel like I've bridged the gap because I've made rules that I know this God will be okay with. So we make our own rules. Or sometimes maybe like atheism or like in Eastern religions almost like, um, like enlightenment, like there is no, there's nothing, there's no pain. There is nothing to worry about. We don't have to, it's almost like to ignore it. It's like we don't have to bridge some kind of gap. All of us struggle with this, and we all find ways to try to appease or to bridge this gap. But the author of Hebrews wants all of us to know this big idea. Jesus is our bridge. Jesus is our bridge. He's the only bridge. And his bridge is through a relationship, not just religion. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But that's why that song that we sang earlier 
Jesus paid it all. This is where it's going to be really important. Jesus is our bridge. He's our priest. But we don't really think about priest very much. That's why we struggle with this concept because we don't think about this. The Jewish people were reminded that God answered what they needed. Job, hey, Jesus is your answer, Job. Israel, Jesus is your answer. And for every single one of us today, Jesus is, the re- Jesus is our bridge, our answer to the gap, to the space between us and God that we, that we know is, exists. Hebrews chapter 8, listen to what he says, the author of Hebrews. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Why are we talking about all of this stuff? Because we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, and the true tent that the Lord set up, not a man. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things to come. Jesus, right, is seated now at the right hand of God's throne in heaven, so that is where one day we will really be in the presence of God. In his, that's presence of God. The, the temple was just a shadow. It's just a taste. It was just like a, a copy. It was to remind us that there's going to be a day when we will be in the presence of God. But on this earth, the temple was a reminder that we can be in his presence, but there is a greater presence to come. When my kids were younger, especially my two boys, they love matchbox cars, Hot Wheels. Anybody like Matchbox, Hot Wheels, cars, and trucks. Dude, they loved them. Couldn't get enough of them. Had like the, the little carpets that are like a little town. Every couch surface was a mountain, a road. You know, drive them over me. Like they just played with these things nonstop. They love cars and trucks, right? And as they grew up, they began to realize that those Matchbox cars weren't the real things. They were shadows, <laughs> copies of real cars and trucks. And today, my boys, they love cars and trucks. They can tell you all kinds of ridiculous information about every single car I think in existence because they love these things. Now imagine if they didn't grow up and they thought that Matchbox cars, they're 20-something years old, they still think Matchbox cars are the real deal. Imagine getting a, going on a date, hey babe, hey, let's, you want to go out to eat? Yeah, I got my Matchbox car, man. We'll just walk and carry it. Like, how are you going to get there? Like, what's the car going to do for you in this moment? That's pretty lame, right? It's a ridiculously silly illustration, I know, but it proves a point that sometimes us humans, we struggle with connecting with the physical things in this world. Let me, let me spell that out for us. We're in a building, and when we come to this building, maybe positive experiences and feelings you get, or emotions. When you sing a song, you get certain emotions. When you listen to some person talk, you like the way they talk, and you connect with them, some YouTuber, some preacher, or whatever. When you eat something and you like it. When you go to a restaurant, and man, I go to that restaurant because when I ate this, it changed my life, right? We connect with physical things and we begin to think, even say things like, dude, there's nothing better than. These physical things that we connect with, we begin to think they're the greatest. But every physical thing that we experience is a shadow of something greater to come. Whatever physical relationship that's been the greatest relationship in your life, how much you love that person, it's a shadow of the kind of relationship that's going to come. The experiences and emotions that we experience here are a shadow of the things to come. But we struggle with this. We get connected with now, and we want to repeat that. And then we want you to do exactly what I did because this is what happened in my life and so you need to do this so that it will happen in your life. But the physical thing wasn't the thing. (laughs) It was pointing me to something else. 
the temple wasn't the thing. It was pointing them to their need of God. It was pointing them to the separation, the reminder of the things to come. Listen, why is this so important? Hebrews 10, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away their sin. Understand what he's saying. And think about this. For at least 15 to 1600 years, every single day in that tabernacle, later temple, sacrifices were being presented, multiple sacrifices every day. For 1,600 years. They have, by the time this letter was written, the Jewish people had already given at least a million, over a million sacrifices. And yet they were still sacrificing every single day. By now you think the point has been made. These bulls, these goats, these sacrifices don't take away your sin. It doesn't take away the distance. It doesn't take away what has happened. It is a reminder that there is a gap created by our sin. It is a reminder that we are in need of grace. We are in need of that mediator because there's a gap between us. And so for 1,600 years, the Jewish people were reminded every single day that there is a gap, but that God has mercy. God offers grace. That's where we find it. Why is this so important? Because Jesus is important. Because this is the perfect picture of religious futility. Doing something all the time, thinking it's going to do something that it cannot do. You come and you sing a song or songs every Sunday. You listen to a message. Even to read a Bible or pray. This is what we do. This is what I do, and this is what makes me right with God. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make me right with God because blood has to be shed. Remember, the high priest can't enter into the presence of God without blood being shed. So your songs, your worship, your reading, and your acts of service are wonderful. Should we sing these songs? Should we gather? Should we read his word? Should we pray? Of course. But these religious things that we do, do not save you. Do not make you worthy of entering into his presence. My sin, your sin, our rebellion has removed us from him, and something's got to die in order for me to be able to be in his presence again. And so you can do a million things for the rest of your life, and guess what? Those things will never cover over the offense to that superior party, to God. Why is Jesus so important? Hebrews 10 goes on to say, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus is unlike any other priest that's ever existed. All those priests in the Old Testament, they were important, but they were all sinners, and they offered weak sacrifices that could not remove your sin. They were just reminders of your sin. Also, they were going to die. Every single priest died physically, death. They, they died. That's why you needed so many of them, because they're going to die and you needed more. I'm saying Jesus was perfect, sinless. So his sacrifice is good for not just himself, it's for all of us. Listen, 
If I died for you, guess what? It wouldn't do anything because I'm a sinner. I might be able to die for my own, but I can't die for you because <laughs> I'm not perfect. Jesus can. And on top of that, if I die, I'm dead. Duh. <laughs> Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is eternal. So he can die for all people of all time. One sacrifice that's greater than 2,000 years worth of millions of sacrifices. And we still try to earn something with God. They were reminded, listen, Jesus is the ultimate priest, the ultimate mediator, and he brings the best covenant. Hebrews 10 goes on to say, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins, and this is powerful, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Understand this, the old covenant was not bad. God didn't make a bad covenant. Jesus came to fulfill, to offer a perfect sacrifice to fulfill the old. There had to be blood. Something had to cover our sin so that we can enter into his presence. And this new covenant... What it says is that now we can enter in. And it may sound gross or weird, but like in baptism, when we are covered by Jesus' blood, we're, it's just water, understand this. But we are covered, and we are covered by his blood. That means God can enter. We can enter into the presence of God. And so now he doesn't sit on that mercy seat in that inner chamber in the temple. He wants to live inside each believe, believer. He enters in each believer. He doesn't write his covenant on stone tablets. He writes them on our hearts and our minds. That's pretty powerful. He satisfied his own wrath. That rod that Job was talking about, he satisfied it. He presented the mediator that could mediate on our behalf so the rod could be removed so that now I can live in peace not wondering if I'm okay, not wondering if God is still upset with me, not thinking that I'm separated from him and having to prove or earn something for the rest of my life. That's the covenant that he offers now. That's the covenant that you and I have only experienced. And so sometimes it might have been nice to be a Jewish person who was reminded of our sin and our separation from God every day because sometimes we can forget that and think, God deserves to negotiate with me. Let's negotiate our terms before I say yes to you. And God's like, I'm sorry, that's not the way that it works. I died for you. You can take the terms or leave them. Our big idea, it's a reminder of this. Jesus is our bridge. Jesus is our bridge to God through relationship, not just religion. Oftentimes people say this. Maybe you've heard this. I've heard this. Christianity isn't Religion, it's a relationship. And that's, it's a powerful statement. It can mean a lot of good things, but also I, we need to think about this for a second. I think there might be a better way to say this because religion means like the, the acts of faith. So we pray, religious people pray. Religious people, right now, you came to church, so this is a religious act. You are being religious. When we read our Bible, that is being religious. I do not think that Jesus would recognize a Christian that isn't religious. What I mean by if if 
If you never worshipped, if you never read the Bible, if you never prayed, if you never did the things that Christians do, then you're probably not a Christian. <laughs> you're not a follower of Christ if you're not following Christ. And so Jesus wouldn't recognize a Christian that's not religious. But I think what that statement can mean and remind us is this. Religion or religious acts cannot save you. Religion, religious acts cannot make you worthy of entering into the presence of God. Singing these songs coming here cannot make you worthy of entering into the presence of God. Only the mediator. That, if that's what we mean by it, then that's powerful and that's true. I, I don't think this has happened in like maybe 20, 25 years, but I think I remember because I hear people talk about it. I don't want to talk about your marriage. So like Cindy, if she were to get mad at me, <laughs> like, you know, again, it hasn't happened in like, I don't know. Like Cindy doesn't get mad at me. Like, we just, our relationship is amazing. So, um, but I've heard that some people struggle with this. <laughs> no, when Cindy gets mad at me, I'm joking in case you don't know this, okay? When Cindy gets mad at me, I can feel like there's distance between us. And I could be like, Ooh, I don't, can I say something? Can I not? And I start thinking, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to appease her or do things to see if I can like step into her presence again. Like, are we good? And I'm not saying it's Cindy's fault. It's me. I feel like there's a distance. I feel like I have to do something in order to be in her presence again. And so I'm acting like it, like, a, like an imbecile, like a dummy. Because we entered into a covenant when we were married. I don't need to do this. Why am I doing this? Because I'm struggling with something. I feel that there's a distance here. That's contractual, not covenantal. A contract is where if you do this, I'll do this, and if you do your part, I do my part, and we're all good. God didn't offer you a contract. He says, I'm giving you a covenant, and it's based on his goodness and his faithfulness. I am in a covenantal relationship with him. I don't have to acquiesce and appease and do all of these things to prove something to God. I am in the relationship in which I can just talk to him. Just like with my wife, if I wouldn't be such a dummy sometimes. I can just talk to her. But don't you do the same thing with God? You do something, and then you spend the next month or two trying to overcome it, do enough better things to make him happy with you again, to make you feel like you're whatever again, or the things you, you know you've done in your life, so I'm going to do all these good things so that then maybe one day God will be okay with me and I can say yes to Jesus or something, or maybe that's what you were taught growing up. I don't know. Here's what the author of Hebrews, what does this mean for us? Chapter 10. Verse 22, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You can have confidence to run to, not run from God. You can have confidence to just talk to God. You can have confidence that you're in a covenantal relationship with him and it's not based on your good deeds, your sacrifices, your religious Whatever, it's based on his promise, his faithfulness. It's based on what Jesus did. He made a covenant, and he offers you this covenant. And it's the greatest deal ever, ever. Your choice is, will you accept that covenant? Will you enter into that relationship with him? When you enter into that relationship, your life will look different because now I don't try to appease my wife I don't try to work my relationship with her. I just love her. And when I love her, I can be really close to her. And then I, my life is going to be different. I'm going to do different things, not to make her happy, but because I love her. 
It's very different, and you know what that means. That's covenant. That's what God offers. Stop running from God. Stop running like crazy to try to prove something to somebody or to God. And enter into a covenant with him. How do you do that? How do you run towards God? Well, if you've never said yes to Jesus, then it looks like this. It looks like you finally, or you've come to a place where you realize that there's separation, that you've rebelled, that you've sinned, that whatever, you've got a gap between you and God, and you know that. In that moment, what do you do? You confess it. You admit it. You say, God, I'm sorry. You can do that. You repent. I'm sorry. I'm going to trust you. I need you. I need a Savior. Will you please forgive me? You're baptized in water. When you go underneath that water, it's like you die to the old self, and then just like Jesus died, and then you come up out of that water, a new person, a new creation, covered in Jesus' blood so that now you can enter into his presence. And he comes to dwell inside of you like that mercy seat, and he writes his covenant, his word, on your heart and on your mind, and then the rest of your life isn't spent trying to earn it to try to pay it back the rest of your life is spent in covenantal relationship with him because you are so confident that you and God are at peace then you can live like you're at peace wouldn't that be amazing that's what he offers if you've never said yes to Jesus if you've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior if you've never said I'm sorry and today could be the day man please text us email us your name we'd love to help you take that next step we've got water up here during this next song you can come up and talk to one of my friends they'll help you take that next step placing your faith in Christ being baptized and we want to help you we want you to know that you can be in a covenant relationship with God because that's the deal that he is offering today and it's a great deal And he does ask to give your life up. But not before he shed his blood for us. If you've already said yes to Jesus, then we've been doing this over the last, the whole series. We've been asking you to commit to. Here's what a life in a covenant relationship would look like. So even if you're not 100% sure that you're in this or that you're confident, you can still run to God instead of run away from God. So here's six commitments that you could be doing actively in your life that are acting like you're running towards God. One, just attend every week. Not when you feel like it, not when the weather's good or bad, not there's snow or not snow, but just attend every week because I'm going to put myself in a position where I'm going to worship God. Two, Open up the Bible every day. Open it up. Read something every day. We have a reading plan that we can help you with and even a Bible study method to help you understand it. Pray every day. We've got resources that can help you with that. Those are three ways you can grow your faith. And then three ways that you can go, learn to be obedient, apply, serve. Um, Since March 18th, we've been sending out team after team. Over 200 people have already gone out to serve all over Down River to show the love of Christ. Hopefully to have conversations to share this great deal that Jesus offers. This past week, some of the teams, uh, here's what we did. We fed over 100 homeless people via ChristNet, an organization feeding down river in Detroit. Uh, We served at Fish and Loaves Food Pantry and Children with Hair Loss. Two teams full of middle and high school students went to Patton Park in Detroit to clean up the park. And uh, one team went to a tot lot park here locally in a park in down river to clean. If you have served or if you've been serving one of those teams or already have served, thank you so much. If you haven't, there's still time. We've got several teams going out in the next couple of weeks. And in particular, on April 9th, we have a few teams that need some volunteers. So go sign up to be a part of one of these teams to go serve. Also, invite people to be a part, to serve with you and to the service. Easter's coming, so invite at least 10 people. Come on, invite people to Easter. And then six, share your story of how you came to Christ Or share your story about how you came to this church and it's challenging you and what it's challenging you to do with people. Share your story. 
You can go on South Point app is the best way to access all the resources that I mentioned, or you can go to southpointccc.com slash grow and go to get all of these resources. We also have a table out in the lobby with all of the printed resources, the commitment cards, and some wristbands to help you kind of remember your commitments and have conversations where you work, play, and live. So I encourage you to stop by before you take off. So if you've already made those commitments, how are you doing? Are you sticking with your commitments? If you haven't made one yet, hey, don't worry about it. Today, start now. Go for it. Let's learn to run to instead of run away from. The deal that he offers isn't something that for the rest of your life you're working to earn. It's for the rest of your life you can 100% know with all confidence that you are at peace with God. And I can only tell you, like, it's going to change your eternity, but it's also going to change your relationships here on this earth. I mean, if you don't have to prove something to God, you're going to be able to love your wife better. I'm just telling you. You're going to be able to love your husband better because you're not going to be asking something of your husband that he can't give you. And you're not going to be looking something from your spouse, your wife, that she can't give you, only God can. You're not going to be trying to get something from your kids that they can't give you. The approval that maybe you want from your mom or you're from your dad, from your teacher, from your boss, from your career. For the rest of your life, you're trying to get these things from people that they can't provide you what you're looking for, but he can and when you have what you need, you can love everybody around you differently. So it's going to affect every single relationship you'll ever be in. It's powerful. Do you want that? Today you can accept that for the first time. If you have that already, then you need to be reminded that you're in a covenant relationship with God, not a contract. And God is faithful to his covenant. So repent. Say you're sorry. And you know what that means? That means you are with God. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And during this prayer, I encourage you to pray along with me. Believe that God is listening to you right now. And if he is, what would you say to him? Be honest with him right now in this moment. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for being a God that is faithful. And you have proven yourself to be faithful over and over and over and over again. Thank you for your word that allows us to know what you've done, what the need is, and how you overcame that. Thank you so much for Jesus, for being our mediator, our high priest that shed his blood so that we can enter into the presence of God. Thank you for your word that says that now, this covenant, you enter into us. May you're with us. And not just here on this earth, but we can be with you forever, eternally in heaven. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We want to accept this and then live out of that confidently for the rest of our lives. That's exactly what we need, our families need, our marriages need, our, 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 our friends need, what Down River needs. So help us to live this out and to share it with others. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Hey, would you please stand? During this song, here's your chance to continue to kind of respond to what maybe God's been asking you to do today. We have some of my friends up here at the front you can talk to, help you take that next step, whatever it may be. I pray that all of us leave here believing that God has a covenant relationship that he wants to be. He offers an amazing deal. Do you want to take it? I pray that you do.